that we started over a year ago in verses 24 and 25, and it's titled The Great Doxology. And it has been said that Jude, the author, has written one of the greatest praises or doxologies in Scripture as he ends this letter, if not the greatest doxology in Scripture that we have for our reading and for also for us as we praise the Lord. So if you think about it here, Judas spent all this time warning about false teachers writing to a church that's in the midst of persecution, not only from the government outside, but the false teachers inside. And how he ends his letter is by praising the Lord in a great, wonderful two-verse praises that we're going to look at here. And I hope it just fills you with praises as it has with me, not only for just today, but even when we face hard times that we know the greatest thing to do is go and praise our Lord and Savior. So will you join me in prayer and as we dig into this word of God that he's given to us today. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this time. We do thank you for the book of Jude and not just Jude, but all the other books that you have given to us in your word. And Lord, that any time that we want to, whether on our phones, as our physical Bible, even listening, that we can open it up, that we can read and we can study, and that we have the freedom to do that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that across this great states that you've given us, this great country you've given us, that many believers are able to meet in churches and hear good, faithful, biblical preaching. And I thank you for that freedom to do that. And Lord, when we get down, when times get hard, when we're struggling, Help us to remember to praise you, for you are a great and mighty God who does great and mighty works today as you did in the past and as you're going to do in the future. And so, Lord, just help us to always remember to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the book of Jude has been a challenge for me as I've gone through. We've, we've hit some really hard things, and it's helped me grow. And I also hope it's helped you grow as a Christian as you've learned and studied through this. And we're going to kind of go over a review, since it's been a little bit over a year since we started this, on Jude, just to kind of remind us of what we have learned in this book. So in the first sermon, verses 1 and 2, we saw how we need to be humble like Jesus was humble. As you know, Jesus took was so humble, he did not have his full Godhead with him. He didn't have his full showing his God power. He was God, but he kept it refrained, even to the point where it says our Savior did not even have a home to lay his head. And then he took on our sins, our death, our punishment on the cross and took that horrible thing. And he was humble because of it. And then we need to follow in those footsteps of Jesus. We also saw that God is the one who does the saving, that we do not do any of the saving work, that it's only through God, and that anybody who is saved is adopted into God's family and now is a part of the family of God. And because of that, the reward will be eternal life in heaven. But it's only those who are saved through Jesus Christ that are part of the family of God. And so it also showed us why we need to go out and tell others about Jesus because there are people who are still lost, who are not adopted. If they don't know Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, they will perish. A second sermon in verses three and four, Jude starts off with it being alert, sounding the warning bells. Be alert of false teachers and was telling them that they were among them and in their church and watch out for them. Guard the faith. Keep the false teachers out of the church and only teach the word of God because it's the only thing that can save us and we as Christians can help us grow. Jude also let them know that Satan is going to try to stop the church, the church from teaching the Bible by sending wolves in in sheep's clothing into the church. And it is the body's job to be alert 
and make sure that the church never stops preaching the Bible. In our third sermon, verses five through nine, we saw that God's judgment will fall upon false teachers. As God judged those in the past who were false teachers, he will judge those who are false teachers now. And we do not want to be a part of that coming judgment, but we also don't want to lose heart. God will take care of the evil that is around us. God will judge them. So don't lose heart. (coughs) And the sermon, the fourth sermon, verses 10 through 16, Jude gives even greater descriptions of these false teachers and how they behave so that the church and the readers would know what false teachers look like and what their fruit looks like so we can stay away from them so we are not hurt by false teachers or led astray. He also gave more warnings on why these false teachers were so bad and how deadly they can be to the churches and how deadly they can be to people because they can lead them to a false gospel and give them a false hope, which would send them to hell. And false teachers could destroy the church and stop the message of the gospel. In our fifth sermon we saw a few weeks ago in Jude 17 to 23, Jude encourages readers to keep the faith. Do not lose heart or give up on the walk, no matter how hard it is, no matter what you're facing for serving the Lord. Remember, this church was under persecution, and they were having brothers and sisters going to jail, and even brothers and sisters being put to death. And so we don't face that now, but there's hard times coming. And we are promised that from Jesus. He says, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They persecute the prophets. They're going to persecute you. No matter what, though, during those hard times, keep the faith, keep living for Jesus, and keep telling others about, their sal- about Jesus' salvation from sin. Now we're going to look at these last two verses in Jude 24 and 25. And Jude takes a big shift here. This is a huge praise. He wants to encourage the church, and he wants to teach some solid doctrine of the church for them to know. And so let us look at our first point, which is... The Lord preserves our faith. Look at me in verse 24 of Jude. Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And so here Jude starts off the end of this letter with a praise. A praise not only to God but also to Jesus because they are part of the deity. They are one. And so not only do we praise God, but we praise Jesus and we praise the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that here in these two verses. And so the first thing Jude does to encourage this church is he praises the Lord. It might be asking, well, we're going through a hard time. Why would you praise the Lord? Because he is worthy of our praise. He is God. We are not. He is the one that has cast the mountains where they're at and has set the seas and has made us in his image and gives us breath and life. He is in control He is worthy. Not only that, God has divine power to protect the believers and to encourage the believers. And that divine power he is showing is that we can know that once we are saved, once we have true salvation, nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus. Look again at verse 24 here as he said, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The word stumbling there does not mean like tripping or like we would take it as, as falling or keep you from sin. A lot of people have 
said that maybe this is meaning that Jude is saying that we're sinless. No, it's not true. Christians will sin. But he's talking about actually losing our salvation or becoming apostate. Peter uses the same word in 2 Peter 1.10 to show here that God is promising to preserve us in our salvation, not to keep true believers from sin. We still will sin. But his promise is that we will be committed from apostate, from abandoning the faith once and for all. And that is what Jude means by his next clause where he says, to present you before his glorious presence without fault, or it literally means to make you stand instead of present as the words here. This is also used in Romans 14.4, 1 Corinthians 10.12, Ephesians 6.11, 13 and verse 14. So what Jude is saying is that God is the one who keeps true believers from committing apostate so that they will be able to stand before God with great joy on the day of the Lord. That believers will experience great joy and their joy brings honor to God as their protector on the last day. And this is the same thing that Jesus taught to his disciples in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, if you look with me in your Bibles there. And Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jude here is reminding the church, reminding the believers of this. He wanted them to know for a fact that the false teachers and the world could not take their salvation away. It's probably something the false teachers were teaching, probably something they're trying to scare the church, that they had done too much bad things, or if they didn't follow them, they weren't going to have their true salvation. And Jude is like, that is not true. They are not God. God is the only one that holds on to salvation. God is the author of salvation. God is the only one (coughs) that can get rid of salvation, but he won't do that. He will never take someone's salvation away. But once you are saved, church, you are always saved. You are always blood-bought believers. You are always washed, made whiter than snow. And no sin, nothing you can do bad can take that away. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that your salvation will never fall away? Even if it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, even if it was just yesterday, nothing could take it away. Not even Satan has that power. Charles Spurgeon said this on eternal security. There may be some sins of which man cannot speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. Christ's blood washes pure no matter how horrible the sin There is no sin more powerful than Christ's sacrificial blood. Hallelujah. You realize that. That yes, at one point we were enemies with God. We were filthy. Our sins made us completely dirty. And God could not stand to see us. But then the Holy Spirit convicted you one day. And you realized your need for a great Savior. And you called upon that Savior. And you said, save me, Jesus. Become Lord of my life. And right then... You were washed whiter than snow. You were no longer seen as the enemy. You were no longer dirty, but you were holy. As Paul calls the Corinthian church, if you know from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, they had a lot of problems. They even were allowing sexual immorality into their church. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were doing all kinds of things, but yet Paul still calls them saints. Why? 
because he knew they were blood-bought believers. They're being led astray in a lot of things, and he had to correct them. But they didn't lose their salvation. There were still believers in that church. He had to instruct them. He called them saints. You realize you're a saint today. It's not like with the Catholic Church or other the Orthodox churches that have only certain people. No, in God's eyes, all those who are saved through Jesus Christ are saints, holy, blameless, so glorious. Now, Baristas does raise the question, though, what do we do with those that claimed at one point to be a Christian, claimed at one point to be saved, but now they have walked away from the faith. They no longer live like a Christian. They no longer act like a Christian, and they're no longer part of the fellowship of the local church. Well, actually, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John addresses that, and John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So John is writing here in the first John that those who have claimed to be Christians but then stopped being Christians did not lose their salvation, but they actually were never saved to begin with. They paid lip service to God. They said, oh yeah, I'm saved. They might have even gotten baptized, but they never made Jesus Lord of their lives. And that happens. That happens. We, we all probably know someone like this. I do. I know I had a friend who we went to Bible college together. He read the Bible. He was serving the church. I was even at his ordination when he was ordained to the gospel ministry to be a pastor. And then one day he gave it all up and walked away and claimed that Christianity wasn't it and became a different Christian and walked away from it because he truly just paid lip service. He was just looking for a place to belong. He did not actually make Jesus Lord of his life. So what does this look like? Well, one, they stop coming to church. They stop reading the Bible. They start saying there's many multiple ways to heaven. They no longer ask for forgiveness of their sins, and they no longer stop doing sins that we do not claim and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing this. They approve of others doing sin and say, oh, it's okay. Don't judge. God loves all. Everything's going to be okay. And we see from their fruits that they're no longer, they were never with us. So do we just ostracize them and never talk to them? No, we pray for them. We call out the truths that they have rejected. We pray for their salvations like we would do with someone who is lost that never came to church. And we show them the scriptures and we pray that they would have a true salvation. Now, this might get you to start thinking, well, is that me? Am I not a true Christian? Because there's sins I battle with. There's things I struggle with. Take heart, Christian. If you battle with sin, it does not mean you're not saved. In fact, that actually shows you are saved. If you're someone who says, I know I struggle with sins and I repent and I confess and I try not to do them, that is not because of you. That is because of the Holy Spirit that indwells in you. Because I'll tell you this, non-Christians don't care about sin. Non-Christians don't care about repenting and saying, I need to stop doing this. I need to keep trying. And when I do sin, I run to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. That is a sign of a believer. If you're saying, I want to grow closer to God and being in church and reading your Bible, these are the signs and the fruits of salvation. If you look back and say, yeah, when I was younger, I struggled more. But now I see myself fighting 
and not struggling with certain things. And I'm getting more, so we call it sanctified, not by your works, but by the Holy Spirit. That shows you are a believer, Christian. Remember the day of your salvation. Remember how you battle with sin. Again, this does not mean we live a life where we just carelessly sin as Christians. We just say, oh, it's okay. Christ is gonna forgive me so I can do whatever I want. No, that's not the heart of a true Christian. But know that we're going to battle. We're going to fight. We're going to strive to be holy as God is holy according to 1 Peter 1.16. But also know that there is confession of sins and that we are made blameless before God. That's what the last part of that verse in 24, that God is the one, Jesus is the one that presents you blameless before God the Father. Holy, righteous. Charles Spurgeon said this, as far as God is concerned, your sin has ceased to be. He laid it on Jesus Christ, your substitute, and he took it and bore the penalty of it. Nay, the things itself, <coughs> he, as your scapegoat, carried your sin right away and is lost in the wilderness of forgetfulness. Do you see and understand? We as Christians are not seen dirty. We are not seen as enemies of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are holy before God, made clean. We are now his children And what a great thing. What a great thing to praise the Lord about. Not just in the good times, but in the hard times. This is why Judah's writing this, because we can praise the Lord, because the Lord preserves our faith. Now this leads us into our our second point. The Lord is worthy of our praise. Look at me in verse 25. Jude writes, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So here we see that Jude is praising the Lord in this great wrapping up doxology. C.S. Lewis on this part said, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. And that is what Jude is doing. The thing that he values the most is God, is Jesus. And he wants the church to join him in praising our mighty God because it's the most valuable thing. And he knows it's the church's most valuable thing. So we're actually gonna break down this wonderful praise here that Jude wrote. And there's several things here I do not want you guys to miss in seeing this wonderful doxology. The first thing is notice that Jude says to our only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what Jude did there. He took God the Father and God the Son and put them together because they're one. He is showing Jesus' deity. He is showing that Jesus is God and deserves the same amount of praise as God does. He is showing that God ordained salvation and that Jesus is the one that carried out the salvation. It was a saving works of both parts. That God sent his son, as John 3, 16, because he loved us. And then we know that Jesus Christ, his son, died on the cross. And then that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts believers, brings regeneration, and does the salvation work. A glorious thing there. That Jude is showing us the Trinity. And again, why is he showing this? Because he wants to show that nothing, nothing can save us except Jesus. He goes on and he sees that he has majesty. 
because he is a great God and there is no other. He is our King and Lord and we serve no one else. As Christians, Jesus must be Lord of our life. We must give him all our service. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of God because we love him. Now, this does not mean that all of us are supposed to be devoted to missionary work or pastoral work. No, you can go out and do your job tomorrow, but do it for the glory of God. You can go out on Tuesday and do your job and do it for the glory of God because God created you with unique gifts and special talents that are just for you to use in the way God has gifted you. But don't forget to give God glory in that. Don't forget when you're with your kids to give God glory and praise because he is our king, he is our Lord, and we are to serve him. He goes on and says that he has given dominion and authority. Now, they are both close in the same meaning, even in the Greek. It's showing that God is sovereign. He is in control. Now, we had an election on Tuesday, and the vote might not have turned out how you wanted it, and you might be worried about the nation Maybe you're worried that World War III might break out with Russia and everything going on there in Ukraine and then China and Taiwan and North Korea. Maybe you have those things that are worried. And they can be things that we can worry about. There are things that are concerning when we see them on the news. But we should not forget that God is still in control. That Russia didn't knock him off his throne. That China can't blow God off his throne with any nuclear weapons. That no election knocks God off his throne. He is still in control. And everything has to go through him. For he is God. No king, no president, no governor, no senator, representative, mayor, any authority. They all have to answer to God. They're never above God. We need to remember that. We need to serve, remember that we serve a great and mighty God and that all authority has been given to him. You realize that even Satan could not even stop Jesus and that Jesus, when he died, he conquered the grave and sin and death when he rose again on the third day. Even Satan's schemes couldn't stop Jesus and make him be unblameless through his temptation. He couldn't keep Jesus from the cross. And he couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. And it broke that curse. What mighty power he has and we get to serve him. And think about that. That cannot be said about any other gods or man. There is no man that can break the curse of sin. The other gods that have been created, their their creators have lived, died, live in the graves. Their gods have no ears, as the psalmist says. They have no mouth to speak They have no legs to walk. They can't do anything. They just sit there. They just stand there. They can't even eat the foods and when they get brought sacrifices. But our God is the one who laid the stars where they're at. The one who told the oceans to stop. The mountains to rise so high. Put the earth at the right axis so it spins to give us life. It's the one that's given our heart life and breath. What a glorious, glorious God. What a wonderful Savior Jesus is. The next thing we see here, as he says, before all time, now and forever. Jude is showing us that God is eternal, that God existed before time, that there was God and there was no time. There was the Trinity, there was no time. God is the one that on the first day of creation brought into the existence of time by speaking. 
There wasn't just a day when all of a sudden God was born. He's always been there. He's never stopped existing. He's always been keeping the world in the palm of his hands, always been keeping the world spinning. He's been God, and Jesus has been right there with him, with the Holy Spirit. So we've had God in the past. So we know now God is alive today in the present. God has not died. He has not disappeared. He's reminding this church that even though you're going through hard times, church, God has not stopped existing just because Jesus went to heaven. Doesn't mean he stopped existing. There was false teachers who were teaching in the Corinthian church that you missed the second coming. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not true. You're not gonna miss the second coming. You're gonna know when it happens. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead because Jesus resurrected from the dead. He hasn't stopped. There are people who think it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked this earth. He must be gone. He must be forgotten. He's not coming back because he's been back by now. God is outside of time. Time is not a thing that is restricted to God. He's the one that created time. As Peter and the psalmist tell us, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. God is outside of time. And not only that, as Jude is also showing, he is forever, never ceasing. Isn't it great you're not gonna wake up tomorrow to a text message or something on the news that says God Almighty has died? This is the end. You ever think about that? You're never going to have to worry about that. You're never going to have to worry about the world crumbling and it said, whoops, God fell asleep and forgot. Look out, world. And do you realize that we, those who are Christians, when we die or either that, we see Jesus come back, we live forever with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the saints of the past and the saints that are to come? You know, we, we see things falling. This building is a great building, but it's got wear and tear. And we don't know how long it will last. It could last for another 50, 60, 70 years, or Lord forbid it, something could happen, it could fall apart. Disasters happen all the time. Look at the people in Florida. They've lost things. We know that our bodies, they get older. They don't last forever here on this earth. Our vehicles don't last forever on this earth. Our clothes don't last forever. We are living in a thing where things start and things end except God, except those that have put faith in God, we will be in heaven for eternity, forever. It's great. One day you're not gonna be in heaven and God says, okay, that's it. Time to get out. Your, your, your time is up. No, we're outside of time. Glory and praise to God. This also should remind us that not only do we who are Christians live forever, but the lost who do not know Jesus will be in the second death forever. Hell doesn't end. Hell doesn't get a time to stop. They will be separated from God forever. And that should tell us that, hey, it is urgent that I tell others about Jesus. It is urgent that I spread the gospel. It is urgent that we pray for the lost and we make sure that we are telling those so they can be with us in heaven forever. So one day, we don't know when that day is gonna come. We don't know when the Lord says time to go home. But one day, you will be before the throne of God, blameless, singing the praises, who was, who is, and who is to come with the saints of the past and the saints of the future and the saints of the present. We will see the nail-scarred hands of our Savior. And he will not be a humble carpenter 
Instead, he'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords with dominions under his feet. What a glorious day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. They excite you, church. As they make you realize that, yes, there are hardships. Yes, there are things that we struggle with on this day and age. There are things that get us down, and that's okay. But that does not have the final say. Jesus does. That is what this doxology is all about. To a church that is hurting, struggling, people are dying, people are going to prison. They might not have been able to meet in their local house soon because of the Roman government. But Judah's saying, it's okay. It's gonna be okay because God is still God. Praise him, church. That is the same way today. You might have hardships with finances. You might have gotten bad health news. You might have worries that are going on. Maybe you don't know how your family's gonna make it in the next couple of months because the bills are higher. Maybe you got devastating news of a health update that you were hoping not to get or a family got. And you're saying, what do I do with this? Take it before God and praise him. Take it before your Lord and Savior and cry out to him for he listens, he cares, he loves you because he is God. Though it might seem dark, though it might seem hard at times, we need to remember to glorify God Almighty and that the troubles of this time will never dethrone God. Satan cannot dethrone God. God lives forever and ever. And with faith, and if you know him as your Lord and Savior, you too will live forever with him. So let us not forget to give our great and mighty God glory and honor each day. We must go out and tell others about Jesus so they too can know that wonderful, wonderful love. Let us pray. God, you are so mighty. Words cannot even describe your majesty and your glory. And Jesus, for you to sacrifice your life for me is so humbling. Sacrifice for us so humbling. That you have made us whiter than snow through your blood, through faith in you alone. And we thank you for that. Lord, let us never forget the great God you are, the great salvation work that you have done, and the great mighty salvation works you are doing today in people's lives through the Holy Spirit. Let us not forget how powerful you are and to praise your name, even when trials get hard and even when our hearts are down and full of sorrow, that you have compassion and love and kindness for us so we can cry out to you. Thank you for being that mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen.